is it weird to, to be on the same side yeah, as the Marin guys? Right, to yeah. be on the same side of the argument as some like wealthy Marin homeowners and wealthy homeowners in Beverly Hills and other sort of wealthy areas across the state that are like, yeah, you know, we're we're all in this together. I mean, is it like strange for you to be in in that in that position? It, it you know, I mean. I probably would feel stranger if I ever actually saw them or talked with them, which I don't. <laughs> they don't come down here so much. Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast presented by Cal Matters. My name is Matt Levin. I'm a data journalist with Cal Matters. And I'm Liam Dillon with the LA Times. And today on Gimme Shelter, the hottest state legislation on housing in the entire country. In the known universe. Uh, well, I mean... We no, just we, got no. told they've been talking about stuff in Norway, so. No, this is, it's the universe. This is the biggest? I, I'm sure. I don't know. similar to how this is the most important podcast on California housing in the known universe. I doubt your omnipotence, but <laughs> I've been proven wrong before. Um, we're talking SB 827 again, but in much more detail and kind of in a different way. Yeah, this is, this is an extravaganza, man. I mean, like, we're just, we're just going at it today. We're, we're talking about, um, Senate Bill 827, which is uh, the bill from Senator Scott Weiner from San Francisco, which would dramatically upzone. Radically. Uh, radically. Radically, radically, crazily, all the words. Easy. Uh, 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 around transit stops. Revolutionarily. Yes. Uh, that bill that you've probably read about in, I don't know, every publication on earth? Yeah, some, you know, things like dissent. Uh <laughs> Also referenced today, uh, Columbia University blog posts and some lesser lights like the New York Times front page. We have two guests, um, Cynthia uh, Strathman, who is the executive director of Strategic Actions for a Just Economy. This is a housing equity group based in South, South L.A., and her group is part of a larger network of organizations in L.A. that are similar that are opposed to the bill uh, on equity fan. grounds. And then we have uh, Brian Hanlon who is the sponsor, the primary backer, the lead author, or the lead supporter of this legislation uh, from California, Yimby. The guy who wrote the bill. Exactly. Um, we're actually going to flip our kind of normal... Fortnightly event. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because our avocado dovetails so well with SB 827. It's an 827-themed avocado. Um, so, Liam, well, we why don't you ask first. me? Yes. Matt, what's, what's the number of the week? The number Fort- of the week. Oh, 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 sorry, oh. sorry, sorry. Matt, what is the number of the fortnight? What is the number of the fortnight? Um, the number of the fortnight is 23%, 23.6%. So 24% when we're rounding. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so why, why, why do we care about this number? That is the percentage of California single-family homes and condos that were sold in all cash. Transactions, straight cash transactions. Straight cash, wow. Through the first three uh, quarters of 2017. Sounds like a lot. That is a lot. What, what do you generally feel that number should be? Oh, I don't Liam. I don't, I don't, <laughs> Liam. I don't know. As, as someone on a journalist's salary, uh, <laughs> the, the idea of paying straight cash for, like, a nice dinner it seems a bit um, far-fetched. Uh, yes. Le- let alone an actual like place to live in in California, and so it seems like normal people. Um, I, 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 that's that's it's impossible to think about. So um, I did a piece a couple weeks back, um, actually responding to a reader question. Made me feel good. Made me feel nice that somebody actually reads some of our work. Um, that was basically like we got outbid on a house. 
um, by an all cash bidder. This is and this is in Elk Grove, a suburb of Sacramento. Like yeah. not even Sacramento, a suburban Sacramento neighborhood. Yes, yeah, affluent. Yeah, yeah, affluent suburb like, of Sacramento. No, we're not talking like uh, Palo Alto here. Yes, um, and he was like, "Who?" When his realtor told him, "Look, there's going to be all cash offers." Um, and some of them are going to be from foreign buyers. Basically, his reaction was kind of what you're alluding to. It's like, holy crap, this is happening in suburban Sacramento, not San Francisco, not in some parts of Southern California, but in suburban Sacramento. Um, so I looked into it and I have you can go to calmatters.org and there's a map looking at all cash sales in pretty much every zip code in California um, from 2005 to 2017. Play around with it. It's interesting. You know, it's a, it was a really good story that I think filled in a part of the housing picture that we that we hear a lot. Yes. But there's not a lot of um, good data or, or good analysis that I've seen previously. Um, and this just really helped fill in a gap. Yes. Thank you. Oh, You're welcome. Kind words. He's... He, the faint praise on the podcast is so much more sincere than the compliments I get off the podcast, That's why which I'm are here. rare. That's why I'm here. Um, just real quickly, the takeaways here are if you are going to try to buy a house with a mortgage, which is how more people the, – the way we kind of conventionally think about people buy houses, it's very, very tough to go up against an all-cash offer. And all-cash offers um, pretty much peaked during the midst of the recession when institutional investors were – very dominant in the market, just snapping up for closed homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still pretty high. You know, it's one in four, basically. Uh, before the recession, it was about one in 10. Wow. So, yeah, kind of dovetails with rising single family rentals. Anyway, check out the story of CalMatters. Um, also goes into what happened in Vancouver um, with the foreign buyers tax. All right, enough with the uh, self promotional mm-hmm. uh, number of the week. Um, let's move to the number of the fortnight. Let's move to the. Avocado of the Fortnite. Um, and a visual avocado of the Fortnite. So what, what's going to be so much fun about this is that we're going to try to describe this to you, and you can't see it. And so you have to rely on us for the moment. We'll, we'll, we'll put some, pic- some of these pictures in the show notes so you can take a look. But I'm really excited to talk about what these things actually look like. So I'm going to try to set this. I'm going to try to set the stage here. We were talking about Senate Bill 827, and there's some opposition uh, from some folks in Marin County uh, over this bill, including an anonymous artist, um, a a remarkable, I'll I'll say, an anonymous artist in in Marin who has created these memes that are, uh, I mean, I'm not an art expert. I took one art history class in college, um, but I'd call them surrealists. I'd call them surrealists. Uh, And they... They just go at aspects of this legislation in a way that I I, I can't ever have envisioned anyone ever doing. Uh, and I'm just blown away by their quality and how fun they are, to how, be honest with you. How upset are you that you're not in these memes yet? I mean, I think, I, I think it just goes to show that I have not quite yet, and you either penetrated um, the housing conversation in the way that we need to. And so hopefully, hopefully someday we will we'll have gotten to the point that 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 we, too, can be memed. Uh, I just want to say Liam's speaking completely on his own. Uh, I, I, I don't want to end up in one of these memes, which now that I say that, I probably will, um, because people like uh, Senator Scott Weiner, Kim, Mike Cutler, friend of the podcast, um, Chris Christie, for some reason. Um, yeah, yeah. Not to walk on the memes yet, but right. 
anybody who's anybody and Chris Christie in California <laughs> housing um, gets memed. Gets memed. So these memes are in opposition to 827. Uh, Liam, you you snuck the best. So, uh, yeah, go so ahead. I, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to do do the do the first one. Yeah. So we got. We got a picture of we got a picture of of like uh, some some like uh, condo towers, right? And then we got um, Scott Weiner there in like some in like some like bell bottom white pants um, with a floral shirt uh, open to the chest, so a lot of chest going on. Um, and then he has a he has a he has a he has a a, a bubble in which he's talking, and, well not really talking, he's actually singing. There's music notes around it, and and I I. Matt Levin, I'm I'm not a good singer, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this. You ready? Are you ready for this? Oh no! So this is you the didn't mis- tell me you were gonna do this. This is the bubble coming out of Scott Weiner's mouth where he's singing in this uh-huh. meme. He goes, yep. he goes, this land was your land, but now it's my land. From Locksburg Ferry to Sausalito. I mean, he got it. He got it down. I mean, it's Marin right there. You know, Locksburg Ferry, Sausalito. Yeah. Marin stuff, and so coming soon. The meme says, "says seventy pant, seventy panted Scott Weiner coming soon is Weiner Village," and <laughs> there we go. That's meme number one. That's meme number one. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're gonna have time to go through all the memes here. Um, I- <laughs> <laughs> you could do a whole show on the memes. Yeah, I, th- I yeah. think we could. You do. You do one. You got one over there. That's that. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. All right. So again, it's uh, Wiener in some type of bowling slash disco outfit uh, with bell bottoms. Um, I think he's clutching Anthony Rendon, who's like shrunken down to a tiny baby size. <laughs> Um, and then uh, Kim My Cutler holding a wad of dollar bills uh, wrapped like I think it's she's supposed to be holding it like a microphone um, asking him or telling him we need a lot more housing like this. Will this help pass SB 827? And then Wiener saying there seems to be quite a bit of opposition. Is that all you can afford? Um but that, you know that we got. There's a lot going on in that one too, if I recall correctly. Like, like, like. There's like people. How much time do you want to spend on these memes, well, 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 Liam? But, but I mean, you got to talk about Chris Christie because he's in there for some reason. In a, Christie's he, in this one. Yeah, he's wearing a diaper, man. Look, take a. Oh, look. there's there's Christie <laughs> in the diaper on the ground. Um, let's see. Victoria Fierce is in there. There's a blimp. There's a blimp that says SB827 sucks, um, which probably will be flown over. Uh, opening day for the Giants. <laughs> um, yeah, these and they're very well done. Like they're yeah. just it's good use of Photoshop. So let's yeah. segueing from the memes to <laughs> the memes did not make the front page of the New York Times. No, but they shoulda. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, not a meme, but a letter um, that uh, was sent to state legislative leaders or just the legislature in general, or who, who was the letter addressed to and who yeah, was so it this from? Was, this was to um, Senator Weiner er, earlier this month and to be distributed to everyone else. Um, and it's from uh, almost two dozen urban planning professors across California being like, this, this, is, this is the bee's knees, man. This is, this is the bill that we've been waiting for. This is the bill that we've theorized would come to pass and now it has, and thank you, thank you, Scott Weiner, for doing it. And I'm being a little bit hyperbolic, but not 
not really. No, I mean, they're very excited. They're very excited. And, and uh, you know, I'll read one quick line. Um, While new housing supply cannot by itself solve the housing crisis, there is no path out of the crisis that does not involve new supply. And so all of the theory that we've read over the past decades, uh, really, about um, smart growth and planning and housing affordability, all the things and zoning um, have come together in this sort of urbanist's uh, you know, Go ahead. Say what you say. What say, say what, what I was going to say. It's an urbanist wet dream, which is for a lot of them uh, this this bill. A- yeah. A- and, and can you can you yeah. briefly describe kind of the um, ideological tilt of some of the signatories to this letter? Yeah. I mean, I I, I don't think you. I think I think the vast majority of uh, urban planning professors in in California, in particular, uh, are from the left, um, and so there's a I'd lot of arguments right. arguments from the left um, in in favor of this and sort of the smart growth. This is good for housing affordability. This is good for climate change, and we need to sort of unify our our housing and environmental policies if we ever hope to meet either of the goals that we have in both areas. Uh, and so. Um, this is sort of, you know, again, sort of the the theory that these that all these folks talk about uh, in 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 practice. So I know I know we don't want to spend too much time on this, but let, let's briefly talk about some of the media coverage that it's gotten. So uh, Vox um, has written several several stories about it. Yeah. I think two or three. Uh-huh. Front page of the New York Times, right. Bloomberg. Right. Um, I guess the Boston Globe that's coming from yeah, one of our bo- guests. Bo- I hadn't bo- seen that. Uh, so there's Boston Globe at uh, op-ed. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been pretty robust coverage in the Los Angeles Times, which is important, a key newspaper in, in the state of California. So two things on that. Whenever that happens, and w- we see this as like part of the media bubble here in Sacramento, it's like sometimes there's like just like some there's an air term in this, right? Which is like some one national outlet picks it up. Usually it's the New York Times. Sometimes it's not. And then a bunch pick it up, right? right. Um, yes. How much How much of that do you think is going on in this case versus whether this bill truly merits this amount of coverage? Well, I think I think they feed each other. I mean, you know, I, I, I do think this is a, a big deal that gets at uh, – there's no question this is a big deal that gets at um, strikes or tri- – it aims to strike to the heart of these environmental and housing issues um, that we have here in the state in a way that – that um, that we haven't seen for 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 some time. Uh, that said, you know the coverage builds on builds on each other. Yeah. I mean, there you know it's 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 easy to it's find. self feeding. It's self feeding. It's easy it's easy to find the yeah. one story and then just writing a bit of a bit of a different, um, uh, slightly different spin and going from there. Has this attention been good or bad for the bill? Uh like the bill's chances of passing. Yes. Um. And and also just broadly, is it is it good? Will it garner more support this way? So I think I'm going to hedge. Um, it's 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 good in the sense that I don't think this now dies a quiet death, which was more possible uh, if 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 there was um, had been no coverage about it. Because as you put the expectation out there, this is going to be talked about and debated. And there are a lot of bills. I mean, not necessarily this one, but there are a lot of bills in in Sacramento that are very ambitious that never get a hearing because the author has decided that um, it's not going to go anywhere and so spikes it. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's a very, very common practice. I think yeah. now there's no chance of that happening with this bill. This bill is going to have to die um, one way or another in a more public way than it may have otherwise um, if were it not for the amount of media attention that it's gotten. That said, I think. 
in some ways hardened some of the arguments on either side uh, uh, of the bill in an air, in a time when it's a lot earlier than typically happens. I mean, yeah. Okay, let let's break down what's in the bill that people should know. Yeah. So uh, we probably should have done this earlier. Uh, but but, <laughs> but what the bill does it says. Well, there have been seven hundred articles about 700 it. Seven hundred articles, so. and you if you're listening to this, and you probably read one. You of them. probably um, know it. So yeah. So within a, a quarter mile to a half mile of transit, uh, this would make it such that. Um, uh, minimum um, uh, building heights um, around those areas would be uh, four to eight stories, and that depends on how close you are to uh, to the transit stop um, and the kind of transit stop that it is. We're talking like Caltrain lines. We're talking BART stations, and we're also crucially talking about some sort of high frequency or bus lines where there's um, you know a lot of a lot of uh, regular bus travel along. That corridor. These are areas that would uh, that would be um, up to. And, and to give you an extent, just one example of the scale of this. Um, San Francisco planners did a did a model, uh, and they said, uh, I may not get the number exactly right, but it was something to the effect of ninety six percent of the city would be affected in one way or the other. Uh, by this bill. Uh, in addition to the upzoning, it also deals with parking requirements, um, yeah. which is more of a big deal, I think, in, in L.A. than it is in, in San Francisco. Uh, but this says, you know, again, with some some variety based on um, how far you are, I believe, uh, it, it would not allow to have parking requirements on, 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 on the buildings. Yeah. Um, and I'm just noticing in these memes, the at least in this meme, the uh, the apartment complex that is being derided is eight stories. Really? Yes. Wow. I, I might not be in the other memes, but so, kudos. Meme, meme precision. Meme accuracy. Yes. Yeah. Now, I demand accuracy for my memes. So let, let let's see what this bill is what this bill is aiming to do, and then let's sure. just build what it's sort of actually doing in practice in terms of what we've seen in the support and the opposition. Sure. So far, right. Sure. So what this bill is aiming to do is um, I'd say there's two main goals. Yeah. It's it's to make it housing cheaper. Yep, and, and to, to reduce it, to do it in an environmentally friendly greenhouse way by, gas by reducing greenhouse gases. And so, yeah. in in that respect, um, uh, you know, it is aimed at um attracting equity groups to support it, and it is aimed at attracting environmental groups to support it. Um, there should be no illusion that um, say cities and counties um who will be losing a lot of their power and authority would 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 support this. In fact, um. You know, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti is opposed to the current version of the bill and the way that he talks about it. I don't know there's much of a space for him to to come on board with the sort of restrictions that he's laying out. So how do you overcome sort of people, local governments being mad? Because they are a, a powerful lobby here at the Capitol. Um, a lot of the legislators come from local government are very sensitive to the concerns. Is that you have, you know, co- co- you build a coalition mm-hmm. and you build that coalition with other groups that are that are powerful. Yes. And those that are powerful are on the equity side and are on the environmental side and then uh, certainly labor um, and, and they're involved or will be involved in this bill too. Uh, and, so let's let's yeah. start. So we've already talked about some of the environmental groups that, um, that are pushing SB 827. Let's talk about the equity groups. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have not seen to, to, to this point at the least, um, uh, any sort of real robust support from equity groups in favor of, of this bill. In fact, you've seen the opposite. Uh, we've seen a lot of the um, higher profile groups, um, which were those that may typically wait longer in the process, um, although there are a lot, a lot, again, still a lot that have not weighed in. We haven't had, even had a committee hearing yet on this bill, which is going to change a lot. Um, but groups weighing in saying no. Uh, already, um, there was a coalition of, of organizations we referred to and who we'll be interviewing later on um, from L.A. Uh, that are very much involved in development decisions that are that came out with a pretty strong opposition letter. 
and uh, some of their con- uh, major concerns around uh, displacement and uh, and gentrification. And um, uh, even with, we should speak to this. I mean, there were some amendments that um, Senator sure. Senator Weiner made in response to some of these concerns uh, re- regarding that aim to protect the demolition of rent controlled units, uh, aimed for any displacement of any any um, yeah. resident. But, and, but well, yeah. But before we get into yeah. that, because I think I do want to spend some time getting into the specific amendments. Yeah. Um, take me through the actual biggest concerns of these equity groups. That people will get displaced by rich people. And how does that work? So you build a new uh, condo tower, uh-huh. uh, and the people who used to live on that property uh, can't afford to move into the new property. And therefore, they go, and they go somewhere else. And you're, you're not building... And given that we're building um, these around transit where there's been a huge public investment, you're, uh, what you're doing is you're, this public investment is driving, along with these relaxed zoning rules, uh, the displacement of some of the folks who uh, are currently relying on, on transit and also folks that we don't want public policy to hurt. And, and what about um, those maybe not in a, uh, I don't know, multifamily building that's going to get demolished, um, but in neighboring multifamily buildings? Yeah, so it's the same sort of pressures. You know, the idea that once you start um, uh, having um, higher income development um, in a neighborhood that does not work to protect those who are already living there, uh, those folks, uh, the, the, the related land or the nearby land uh, becomes more valuable, which then forces out um, the individuals that may not be directly next to, to transit. It's sort of this sort of growing wave or tide that, 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 that sort of spills out. Um, when their adequate protection is not in place um, from de- new development. Okay, so the bill comes out. Uh, the equity groups come out and say, we are not fans of this. Right. And then there's a host of amendments that are introduced to the bill. Um, right to remains in there. And and to demolish a rent-controlled unit under this bill, um, you would have to, a city would have to affirmatively pass um, legislation saying that, yes, this is a good idea. Um, and so, you know, uh, and for, for that to happen under this sort of right, right germane, as you as you mentioned, this would refer even not just to rent control units because most of the state doesn't have that, uh, but 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 uh, to anyone who's displaced, um, they would have sort of first dibs on the new project, uh, living in the new project uh, at their current rents uh, when the new once the new project was built, and in the meantime, uh, the developer would have to pay for uh, these people to live somewhere else. Yes, for their moving expenses and for their actual rent. Yes, for yes. a long time. I believe, it's 42 months, I believe, yeah. in, the, in the bills. That's a long time. Yes, yeah, over three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so those amendments are introduced. Yeah. And what's the reaction and of some of these equity groups? And we don't see much movement, really, at all. And I why? Mean, well, I think... Um, what a good question. Um, I think I, I, you know, I, I, I think there are some legitimate policy concerns about like how right to main would work and these sorts of things that that would need still to be ironed out. To there could potentially be some sort of loopholes in how that is. I think there are legitimate concerns as well about like once you move someone away, um, are they really actually going to come back? Yeah. You know. Um. And so like that, I think those are those are real legit issues that still would need to be refined to make them tighter than they actually are. I think also, though, um, there's a, a, a legitimate uh, gripe about, like, like trust and approach. I mean, these groups were not – a lot of equity groups are really – I'm not sure of any – were consulted prior to um, the introduction of the bill. Um, and, 
And so why would they trust people um, to get this to get this right? Particularly so, when you know government has come in uh, many times in, into these communities in the past and said, "Here's something we're going to do. It's going to help you." When the exact opposite uh, has occurred. So how how much of kind of the blowback on this? from social equity groups, how much of that was inevitable because of the nature of the bill? Um, and how much of that was, you know, by the by the admission of Brian Hanlon um, and others, uh, you know, somewhat of a mistake in not approaching those groups earlier? Uh, I don't think you pass legislation like this unless you, I will get into this, unless you have um, certain groups on board. And it, it seems to me, you know, in terms of what C- Cynthia uh, has des- described to us later on in, in, yeah. in her interview that, that you'll hear, um, you know, some potentially irreparable uh, uh, fissures that have emerged at least this year with this bill um, because, you know, the into- higher entire approach that a lot of folks don't believe is the correct one. You know, talk to so me could, about – Could they have gotten them on board? I mean if the, if if fundamentally the bill is going to – upzone yeah. in this radical way like it, even if even if the, even if it was i, I right. realize we're dealing with hypotheticals yeah. right but like even if there was a more proactive approach trying so, to solicit like what could they have put in the bill that might have so changed I, anything I, I don't know necessarily but i don't think you you get there by not having people at the table at the beginning and or even beforehand mm-hmm. and you know um uh i, I don't know it, I, I mean it's 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 um It, it, yeah. In fairness, it's an impossible question to answer, but you failed at it. Yeah, no, well, well, I mean, what what I was gonna say is I'm that I'm just kidding, Liam. Yeah, no, what, what it's a, it's an impossible question what, to answer. What, what I'm trying to say is that um, it is tough to make a consistent argument that a bill is going to help uh, low-income uh, Californians if you don't have um, a bunch of low-income Californians talking about how great this is and how much it's going to help them. Yeah. And the longer you go without that, um, the worse that it looks. Let's talk about the political future of SB 827. Uh, is there any chance that this might actually make its way through the legislature this year? Um, so here's my take, and, and I've been pretty consistent consistent on on this. I think the only way that, that there, there's a coalition that's built that um, – uh, passes it is if you get uh, certain powerful environmental groups, equity groups, and labor, which is sort of a, a big elephant in the room, um, in supportive of it, and that hasn't happened yet. Because again, you're always cities, cities and local governments are always going to be opposed to this, and so you have to have that sort of coalition to to overcome that opposition. Um, I think also um, the governor is a bit of a wild card here. Uh, he is not necessarily one to um, – my understanding and my general take on how he operates is he likes to – he will certainly in his office will push for certain bills that he likes um, only if he sees they have a chance of kind of making some progress on their own. Yeah. And so if he sees feel like there's enough progress here and there may be some areas that he could jump in and push it over the hump in some ways, um, maybe he does. But if he doesn't see progress or sees it as a dead end, he's not going to use any political capital to, to do it. Interestingly, too, and this is sort of what happened last year, um, 
the the Wiener legislation on, on streamlining was tied to a larger package of housing bills. If this were to get tied to another sort of uh, uh, thing, and this is something also Cynthia alluded to um, during the interview, um, then it might have a different sort of sort of life. And there were a lot of folks last yeah. year, particularly on the left, who were not fans of what Wiener was trying to do with his bill, but they had to vote for it or had to support it because that was the only way they knew that the governor was going to support new funding measures. Uh, so let's walk through kind of the next steps for the bill. Yeah. So as we said, the bill has not had a committee hearing yet, uh, which is crazy for the amount of time that we've been talking about it. Um, and, and these bills change. I mean, that's what the committees do. And so we got, you know, uh, scheduled for two committees in the Senate. And then assuming this actually continues, um, you have a Senate floor vote and then you have who knows how many committees, at least one, probably two, maybe three in the assembly before an assembly f- vote and then back to the Senate again for so like a lot. I mean, so many steps and so many potential changes to the, to the legislation. There are two committee hearings scheduled in the Senate right now. The first is the Housing Committee, which is chaired by um, uh, Jim Bell of uh, Senator Jim Bell from San Jose. Um, Who supports so, the bill. Uh, so he's first. And then, so we don't, I don't expect that, I mean, there might be some changes that work through there, but I don't expect like a really hard fight in that, in that committee. The next one though, that's the real interesting, um, you know, close watchers of the bill will want to pay attention, uh, assuming it makes it out of Bell's committee to go to the Senate government, uh, government and finance committee, because that's chaired by Senator Mike, Mike McGuire, who represents Marin County, um, who is generally not in favor of of these sorts of legislation? In fact, uh, McGuire last year voted against SB thirty five, um, and so he at the and his argument is that you know basically locals should be in control of these things. He shows a lot of deference. McGuire um, not in the memes. Not in the memes. Yes. Not in the memes. And I'm sure. I mean, I'm certain. I mean, I haven't. I, you know, I asked his asked his staff for comment on this bill, and they haven't given it to me. Um, so that it, I think they're holding off for the moment in terms of taking a, a firm position. Um, but. Who God knows how many letters and emails he's getting um, because people are savvy uh, enough um, to know that he's a, a key vote on this. Yeah. And it was interesting because last year, you know, as I referenced, he voted against SB 35, but he let SB 35 through his committee last year. Yeah. So let, let's yeah. take a quick step back. Right. So right. it's one thing if um, bills don't always have to be voted on. Correct. Yeah. So okay. So 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 <laughs> so he so he opposed SB thirty five. Yeah. The bill still went through his committee. Right. And, um, he and, he allowed that to happen. And some committee members will, uh, in response, will sort of give deference to the author or deference to the process, and they'll say, "Well, I don't really like this, but because of reason X, Y, and Z, I'll let this go." And, and that's sort of what happened with with SB thirty five and McGuire last year. Yeah. There was some push from the governor. Um, and, and some concern um, with with labor, the, the the building construction trades, the construction workers union, and so with that sort of push, there was we're going to let it go. Um, is, is he up for re-election? I I don't I don't know. Yeah yeah. Um, so but yeah, I mean uh, you know I think I think that's the one that people um, where where there could be substantial changes to this because if he lets it go again, you know, this bill is much less wonky than SB 35 was last year. And if he lets it go, then I think he's going to hear from a number of constituents that he oh, has yeah. about how could you had the opportunity to do away with this thing that a lot of us hate 
And I mean, I the heat on this is already it's already more intense than SB 35 at its peak. Totally. And so even if you were to do something like like let it go in his committee, but then vote against it on the floor where it come to that, I think people would still be super mad at him um, because he, you know, had a chance to, to, to sort of drown in a bathtub and didn't. Yeah, that was way too long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that teases us up well to um, talk mostly about the equity portion of this. Um, let's uh, let's head to our interviews. We're here with Cynthia Strathman, the executive director of Strategic Actions for a Just Economy, which is a housing equity group based in South Los Angeles. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Um, Cynthia, why don't you tell us what, what does your organization do? Uh, Strategic Actions for a Just Economy um, is, as you said, a housing equity group, and we do a mix of things. We do some direct services with low-income tenants in the area. Uh, We counsel people on tenant rights and uh, support them as they advocate for their rights with their landlords and with the city. Um, We also uh, teach people about planning processes, about equity in the city, about um, how to uh, maintain healthy housing in their own homes, and we partner with other allies to both do direct education with them and then to treat, teach them to advocate for themselves, um, especially around land use decisions, which can be very complicated, which I think a lot of times ordinary people don't feel like they can affect or don't really understand how they can affect. Can you give us a couple examples of the land use decisions that you guys have organized around in L.A.? Well, a good recent example is the community plans for South and Southeast Los Angeles, and these are the plans for um, particular areas of Los Angeles, which will determine what can be built there. And the plans cover around 500,000 people, over 500,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of the, the, the suggestions that we made were actually adopted by the city, and so they'll include um, requirements around affordable housing, around the production of green space, um, a prohibition on new oil drilling, um, measures like that that will really help to improve uh, the lives of people who live in this area. So what can you tell us about what the housing debate and conversation is like in Los Angeles right now? The housing conversation in Los Angeles right now is you know, of course, we're in a housing crisis, as, as are many places around the country and actually around the world. Um, so I think the conversation is very much about uh, how unaffordable housing is. Um, you know, the majority of people in Los Angeles are renters, and uh, many of them are renting not um, apartments, but also a lot of them are renting single-family homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Los Angeles is much bigger, of course, than the Bay Area, which is the other major metropolitan area in the state. Um, you know, we have around almost 4 million people living in the city of L.A., and then, you know, 10 million living in the county of Los Angeles, and then um, any millions more living in the actual L.A. basin. And there has been a lot of building happening in Los Angeles, especially uh, in downtown Los Angeles. There have been a lot of luxury condominiums and uh, market-rate apartments that have gone in. Uh, It hasn't really done a lot to alleviate the housing crisis because, of course, what we're really short on here is housing that ordinary people can afford to live in. So so you're part of a group uh, of organizations like yours in Los Angeles that uh, pretty early on sent a letter to uh, Senator Weiner opposing uh, SB 827. What what are your biggest concerns about, about the bill? Well, our biggest concerns are that, that you know, 
we are in the middle of a huge transit build-out here in L.A., and um, and our concern is that, you know, transit can really drive gentrification uh, because uh, – Developers may want to buy up land that's near transit and put in um, transit-oriented development, which often the housing in transit-oriented development is a lot nicer than the housing that was along the, the previous bus lines um, that used to run in the places where where the trains uh, are slated to run. And when that happens, it'll drive up land values all the way in the, in the areas around the new TOD, and that can lead to gentrification and displacement. And often, you know, the lower-income folks who used to live along those transit lines can't afford to live in them once new development comes in. And um, even though they're the people who are the most likely to ride transit, Mm -hmm. they end up being um, pushed out of the area. And most of the transit riders in Los Angeles make less than $25,000 a year. Um, I'm I'm curious. So there's been a a few amendments introduced uh, to the bill that have tried to address some of these concerns. What, What is still missing from the bill? Um, that might make you more reassured about it? Well, I mean, the, the, the position that we've taken on the bill so far is that this, it's, it's just not, not the right tool for the kind of job that it's supposed to be doing. Because this bill is supposed to be, you know, or at least a lot of its backers have, have described it as a bill that really promotes equity, right? Um, but I, I think that the fact that you even have to, to have tons and tons of amendments to make sure that it's not actually displacing or harming low-income communities of color kind of indicates to me that it's, it's really not the right approach to take in the first place. So, you know, the metaphor that I've been using to talk about it is that what we need right now is an ambulance. And what this really is, 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 you know, some other kind of vehicle like a bulldozer or a minivan, and we can kit it out to try to look like an ambulance, but it's not going to be an ambulance. Like what we really need to do is to, to scrap it and start over with something that's going to accomplish the kinds of things that, that um, the proponents say they want to accomplish. So what, what would that look like? What's in the ambulance? Um, well, for one thing, I think there has to be an affordability component to it right now because, I, I, you know, building a lot of luxury or market rate housing around transit um, is really not going to help house poor people. It may not even get people on transit, and um, it's unlikely to, accomp- you know, to accomplish either the environmental or the, or the social good goals that, that you know, SB 827, um, you know, proponents purport to believe that it will. So I think you have to have some kind of affordability component. You know, if, you, if you, we want to fix a crisis in, in housing affordability, we need to build housing that people can actually afford. Like, that's what you do. Like, fix the problem that's laid out in front of you. So I think it has to have an affordability component to it. And um, So by that, like an inclusionary requirement? Yeah, like an inclusionary requirement or something okay. like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think there need to be, you know, anti-displacement measures put in place, too, that are really, really strong. Um, you know, there have been some amendments to this bill, but, you know, for instance, um, a lot of uh, the upzoning is mandatory along transit lines, but a lot of the provisions around affordable housing um, and anti-displacement are not mandatory. And there's ways that local governments can opt out of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are linked to rent control or rent stabilization, and over 90 percent of the municipalities in the state don't even have rent control or rent stabilization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think to really get at the housing crisis, there's a bunch of other things you could do first. You could repeal Costa Hawkins, which would help control rents um, because municipalities would have the option of, of doing rent control. Um, and you could reform the Ellis Act. So it's, it's not as easy to just, you know, turf people out of buildings that are rent controlled and, um, 
you know, demolish them and put up something else instead. So would, would you would you argue that without um, those sorts of um, tenant sort of those sort of kind of high level or, or, or strong tenant protection measures um, that any approach like this shouldn't be undertaken until unless and until the, those sorts of Costa Hawkins repeal or Ellis Act reform or some similar high level or strong tenant um, effort would 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 happen first. Yeah, I think that you should definitely have strong tenant protections first, or or the the likelihood that anything new you build at market rate is going to lead to the displacement of people who can pay less money and re- the replacement of them by people who can pay more money. Um, you know, it's just really likely to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it's accidental. If you look at who's supporting this bill, right? It's the real estate industry, it's the tech industry, um, and you, you know, Yimby groups who themselves tend to, to skew, you know, white and wealthier. And the people who are opposing it um, include, I think, virtually all tenant rights and social justice you know, oriented folks that I know, certainly in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to go by who seems to feel they're going to benefit and who seems to feel they're going to be harmed, you know, it's pretty clear that this isn't really a bill that's going to help lower income communities of color at all. And in fact, is is likely to harm them substantially. So let me kind of go through what the proponents say the, the, the equity argument is here when they say this is this is good the bill is good for low income communities and for uh, and for the environment because um, having a lot more housing near transit uh, would primarily occur first in the already the the or, or first in the sort of wealthier exclusionary areas of the of the city therefore relieving displacement and gentrification pressures in the neighborhoods that you represent what's what 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 is wrong about that argument. I mean, I don't. I, I think there's no guarantee that they're going to build in those argu- in those neighborhoods first, you know. And and we're seeing in South Los Angeles a lot of gentrification pressures coming down from, um, you know, downtown LA over from USC. Um, I think if you really want a, a bill that's going to push people to build in high-income zip codes, um, mm-hmm. then you write a bill that's going to push people to build in high-income zip codes mm. instead well, of writing a bill that, that would like? let people build virtually anywhere and kind of hoping for the best. What, what would that look like? What would the bill that would only target higher-income areas look like? Um, How do you kind of legislate that? You know, I would probably want to talk to a land use attorney first before, like, because I'm not a land use attorney, before, like, venture. You to consult an attorney. Yeah, and you can write it like this, and it'll be total watertight. And, you right, know, okay, um, right. Uh, right, and I, I yeah. mean, my understanding is that in some of the housing bills that, that went through last year, there were some... Um, some reformulations of how uh, how you know neighborhoods were going to be required to um, meet their arena goals mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. their, so their housing their, needs. Yeah, uh, the state housing housing needs. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm like, I only talk in like. No, we're trying. This is this is where conversational. You know, Rena is Rena. I mean, I guess people who listen to this probably know what Rena is, but for those few who don't, housing needs. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will. I will soon come across a sentence where I only speak in letters. There will be no no other words. We're almost there. Too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I, I mean, I think that you could target it, and I think that there's, like, other, other different kinds of policy mechanisms you can use to kind of push at that and get at that. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, and I mean, I'm all, I'm, I understand, too, that there's a lot of concern in the state that some, you know, some neighborhoods and some municipalities have really not done their share in terms of picking up, um, you know, housing for lower-income folks. But, but at the same time, I, I don't think that this is the right 
policy measure to really address that. I think what it's going to do is, is really hammer um, lower-income communities. Yeah. So Could, is it, it, it is it weird? I'm just curious. Like, is it weird to, to be on the same side yeah. as the Marin guys? Right. To yeah. be on the same side of the argument as some like wealthy Marin homeowners and wealthy homeowners in Beverly Hills and other sort of wealthy areas across the state that are like, yeah, you know, we're we're all in this together. I mean, is it like strange for you to be in in that in that position? It. it you know. I mean. I probably would feel stranger if I ever actually saw them or talked with them, which I don't. <laughs> they don't come down here so much, I have to say, not hanging around a lot at Sage. So, um, but I think it's it's because the position that we've taken and that, that some of the tenant rights and, and social justice groups have taken is that we need more development and growth along transit lines. Yeah. And um, we do need to build more housing, but we have to do it in a considered way. It has to be the right housing for the right folks in the right place. And that means that sometimes we end up on the same side as the people who are like, dude, build that monstrosity, you know, billion-dollar monstrosity thing because it's going to, you know, blot out the sun and ruin the neighborhood. Uh-huh. So we can't end up on the same side of with them, you know, if we think it's the wrong kind of thing to build. Right. But then we can also end up on the same, you know, on the same side with the, you know, pro-growth people who are like, yeah, we need to build a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. But it, And depending on how well we think the policy position is formulated, we could end up on either side of that because we're trying to walk that middle line. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Have you been surprised with the amount of attention that the, that the bill has gotten? Yes and no. I mean, I understand that there's like a lot of people who are very loud in the social media universe who have kind of gotten into this and are now, you know, blasting it all over creation. So in that sense, and since I'm not surprised because I think that that tends to draw on like a, a smallish subset of the population that's really invested in, in making sure that, that more housing gets built. Uh-huh. Um, and and I I mean just to be like upfront about it I mean I think there's like some upper income folks who aren't quite upper income to get into the current enough to get into the current housing market and think that if you just build a lot more stuff that they might be able to afford it uh-huh. and I think that that there you know that segment of the population is being is being really vocal around this. I mean, that, um, that sounds like YIMBY groups to a right, certain extent, right. right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think. I am surprised because, you know, I, I really like land use and spend a lot of time thinking about it. I can't say that's always common, you know. You will find if you go to parties and try and talk about land use too much, not as popular as Not at my the parties imagine. I yeah, go to. The parties Cynthia. we go to, this is all we talk yeah, about. Yeah, come to so. our party. <laughs> They're not in Marin either. <laughs> <laughs> the people from Beverly Hills are not hanging out with you either. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, like, from that perspective, I mean, I, I think the thing that's a little a little sad about this is that there's we're hearing from the NIMBYs and we're hearing from the YIMBYs, but we're not really hearing from this kind of middle-of-the-road group, you know, that we're calling the MBs, you know, the equity in my backyard folks mm. who, who really want to see the building but want to see it done in a way that really accommodates everybody who lives in the city now uh-huh. and doesn't push a whole bunch of people out. And I don't think that you're hearing a lot from lower-income communities of color, which is kind of typical. You know, right. often lower-income communities of color get shut out of the planning process, and yeah. people don't pay attention to what they want. I'm just going to alight over Liam's uh, subtle dig at that uh, acronym. No, that wasn't a dig. That was, that was <laughs> the sound that was, of being intrigued. I don't know. That was more of like a... Uh, no, no, I like it. 
You don't M- like our new acronym? MD. I do. I was intri- no that, that was an intriguing uh, we'll, we'll listen to the tape. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think, is there a specific example that you've come across that you're like, this is the thing that 827 would bring, and this is what scares the hell out of me? Well, it's, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to imagine because this is all things that it would bring that can't happen now, but things that are, that are sort of like that, I think would be, we're we're seeing an awful lot of brand new, really big mixed use projects right here in in South LA because we're just south of downtown Los Angeles um, and we're uh, just east of USC that are coming in along the transit lines um, that if it was man- if it was already upzoned there and you know it ha- was some of the other inclusionary zoning didn't apply that you would see um, you would see a lot of really big shiny new fancy apartment buildings going in with no affordable units in them and with little displacement protection for the folks who are living there now mm-hmm. and you know, you could you would then see those people getting pushed out, and we we actually are seeing people who are getting pushed out, or who are under threat of getting pushed out, or who are being like faced with indirect displacement, where the rents have just gotten so high in this area that they're having to leave. So I, I guess this is all this is leading to me ask asking you like, given where things are with this legislation now. It doesn't sound like um, this is this this sort of approach has been helpful to kind of building coalitions with with groups like yours and with communities that you represent for even future efforts in in this uh, in this space, right? Oh, you mean if people who are really pro housing development want to build coalitions, perhaps they should not propose things that equity groups hate. Yep. Is that the, that's what I'm um, saying. Yep. I would, that's probably that would be prudent. I yeah. would imagine. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, having said that, I don't think anyone's prepared to say you know, and this is it. You know, I am, you know, going to hold a grudge against them and their children's children. You know. Sure. sure. If uh, it, and and generations of, uh, because you know, I think everybody has a goal of wanting to. Not everybody. I mean, I think that there are a, a lot of people out there who have a goal of living in an equitable city where it's economically integrated and racially integrated, and you have a lot of the vibrancy that exists in cities now um, where they don't become, you know, completely uh, kind of bland, you know, reproductions of, um, you know, suburbs, you know, with these kind of imaginary urban spaces you know, like the Disneyland version of a city, right. um, but instead really are real cities with everybody living here. I mean, I think a lot of people really want to see that. And so, you know, some people don't, you know, and then that's like a major philosophical difference. But I think for the rest of us who do like have a shared vision of that, then it's really a lot of arguments about methodology. Yeah. You know, what's the best way forward? And and I have, I maybe I'm unduly optimistic about this, but I think that there's always a way to build then a coalition and some steps forward as long as you're willing to keep an open mind and, you know, be willing to, you know, talk talk to people and, and work out new solutions. All right. Cynthia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. And now we're here with Brian Hanlon, who's the executive director of California YIMBY. Brian, thank you so much. It's great to be here. 
So uh, who are you and what's California Yimby? So I lead California Yimby, which is a new statewide pro-housing advocacy organization. We work to pass state bills to increase home building throughout California in order to make the state more affordable and inclusive. Uh, What got you into this? The crisis. Uh, I was living in the mission um, from, what, 2010 to 2016, and I noticed that my... Neighbors of mine were threatened with eviction. They were scared that they um, that their family would be next. Personal friends of mine were deciding whether or not to, to try to make a go of it um, in San Francisco or in the Bay Area, um, just because the, the prices were escalating so uh, rapidly. So I first got involved in anti-eviction uh, protest um, in the mission, um, You know, protesting what I thought were the unjust ev- evictions uh, from a, a landlords um, who wanted to use the spaces and I thought abusing things like the Ellis Act. Um, but And then I met up with um, um, SF Barf and Sonia Trouse at, at the beginning of 2015 and started advocating for what I thought was the, the real root cause of the problem. We've been underbuilding homes for decades. So while tenant protections are vitally important, um, we're it's just going to be a constant game of whack-a-mole uh, in terms of stopping evictions if we're not also addressing this core problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're the you're the sponsor of SB 827. Can you tell us what what that means? Yeah. So the the sponsor is a terrible terrible job um, where it just means that you have constant headaches and you're constantly <laughs> trying uh, to um, wrangle up support uh, for this uh, massively ambitious bill that that could actually put a real dent in the housing crisis. Um, so what a, a sponsor does is they you work with the um, author, in this case, Senator Weiner, um, and his staff um, in order to uh, address concerns from other stakeholders, to rally support for the bill, to organize support. Sorry, because you said stakeholders. Like, it's not a word we don't allow on the podcast. Stakeholders is a word that you don't allow? No, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a terrible word. Yeah, um, yeah so that is like... <laughs> That, that is fair. Um, yeah, I guess but the thing is, like, people who care about the bill, right, I mean, okay. sure, yeah. let's, let's yeah. use that word instead. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh. So, so, so. <laughs> quick, quick segue. Quick segue. Uh, yeah, so. I, the, I got the, it. You can, let me, all right, guys. Yeah, let's do it. Um, where, where did the idea for the bill come from? Um, well, it's, you know, it's, I've always thought it was crazy that we didn't have dense housing near transit in California. Um, For years, I worked for the U.S. Forest Service. I would commute through the North Berkeley BART station, where it's just this BART station. We spent so much money building it, has such high capacity, and yet it's surrounded by a giant parking lot and then single-family homes. Uh That, that to me, is madness. Uh Um, And, you know, I just thought that California could... Like, if we're going to put homes somewhere, that's where we should be putting them. And quite frankly, like, I was really, um, I think, in the, the back of my head, um, influenced by a lot of this uh, uh, writing I read in, like, the late 90s, early aughts around smart growth, a lot of it coming out of the National Sierra Club. Huh. Like, it, it's funny. I, I, I found a, one of these articles that was published in the, in the late 90s uh, recently, and I'm reading its policy prescriptions for addressing climate change. It was called global warming then. Right. And I'm like, this is SBA 27. <laughs> I couldn't like they're talking about eliminating um, excessive uh, setback requirements. Like they're uh, really getting into the details of zoning. Yeah. And so I think it was like reading stuff like that early on in the back of my head helped inform how I interpreted the crisis uh, that we're confronted with today. And uh, 
the Sierra Club, just for full context, that not a fan of not a fan A27. of this. No, yeah. Um, so w- w- have you been surprised? I mean, this bill's like gone everywhere, right? I mean, a lot of national attention. Have you been surprised that 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 so sort of even early in the process, it's it's gotten that that amount of that amount of attention? Yeah, so I'm not surprised it's getting a lot of attention right now. I was surprised that within a week of introduction. Newspapers were writing about the bill all across the country. Um, that that is surprising. But again, I think that speaks to the enormity of the crisis, and that this bill could—I'm not going to say solve the crisis, but more, but um, do more good to get the, um, the to get the housing crisis under control than like anything else on offer. And folks realize, hey, this is a really big deal. This could actually make a huge difference. Unlike, you know, passing a bill to do some more studies or something. Yeah. Uh, Who who did you consult with when actually crafting the specifics of the bill? Like what were some of the organizations that you talked to? So, and and I think like this is an an unfortunate thing um, with the way that this bill was uh, uh, rolled out. uh, at the time that I was working on um, what would become SBA 27, I was building California Yimby. Uh, for those who have never built an organization before, it's hard. <laughs> it's a lot of work, uh, whether it's like fundraising, hiring, finding an accountant, doing all kinds of other stuff. And so while I was working on drafting the policy, I was working in building this organization. And I don't have decades of experience in uh, housing policy. So I wasn't able to you know, get a bunch of folks in a room, get them on the phone. I didn't really even know who to talk to in many cases to try to solicit a lot of feedback early on. So what my plan was, was, well, um, well, you know, I'll try to get a bill introduced. And I already have some other policy areas I know that need to be addressed that aren't addressed yet. But I've got to talk to people about, like, what's the best way to accomplish them. But that there'll be plenty of time to do that after introduction. And so I, I think that's, you know, Again, un- unfortunate. I just didn't have the capacity to have those conversations, you know, in in the fall. Um, but we're certainly having them now. Yeah. So, but you're not naive, and Senator Weiner's not naive. And uh, when you try to do something that is the what you say one of the largest things that may ever have been done in California on 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 housing, you and not being surprised the attention that it was going to get. Were you concerned about not having talked to folks in advance that you know were going to weigh in um, on on what this policy was going to be? Uh, well, not really. And I know I think this is a bit naive, um, in part because I had every intention of working with them as soon as we possibly could. And like after introduction, when the bill is out there, that's a great time. Um, so, you know, there are I think that this bill is certainly there are all kinds of folks who are going to oppose it for sort of typical NIMBY reasons. Um, what I had hoped is that folks that I view as natural allies um, in the affordable housing and a tenants' rights world, that we'd be able to work together and address their concerns after introduction. Um, I think part of the other problem, though, is that the way that the bill was just exploded in media interest right away, yeah. um, that it started setting like the tone, like as if this were a done deal. Whereas as you know, in Sacramento, you often introduce bills that you know are nowhere near complete. Um, and But you you then work with the inside Sacramento stakeholders. Things change through the committee process. Stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I've been advised yeah. I can't use stakeholders. Yeah. <laughs> people who care, people right. who represent interest groups. Um, and, and then you move from there. Yeah. And the fact that the vast majority of bills really don't get any media attention – 
um, allows the freedom of maneuvering um, um, inside Sacramento to, to craft stuff. Well, the problem is, like, since it's got so huge, I think a, a lot of people who are less familiar with how Sacramento bills operate thought, yeah. oh, wait, is this it? This is what they're trying to do? It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, the, the, you know, robust anti-displacement protections weren't in the initial bill because they're really important to get right. And I didn't have time to work with the right stakeholders in order to put that language in there in the first place. The right people who care about the bill. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sorry. You're going to have to just like beat stakeholders out of me. Yeah, We should have a sound. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So make make the argument for why this is why your bill is a good equity bill. Oh, sure. Um, so, look, there is rope. Bust academic evidence, um, empirical evidence, not just from theory, that when local governments are able to restrict home building through things like restrictive uh, zoning um, and expensive requirements, lengthy delays processes with um, multiple uh, veto points, that leads to higher prices. It leads to racial and class, uh, increased racial and class segregation. It leads to increased price volatility. That price volatility in turn makes it more likely that low-income families who like purchase a home at the top of the market, then lose it when the bottom, uh, when the market collapses. And so I see this bill as tackling so many of these massive, massive um, uh, problems, um, especially from a fair housing angle. You know, if for decades now, if fair housing advocates have been fighting to integrate the suburbs, have been fighting to be able to build more naturally affordable, dense multifamily housing in high opportunity areas with good quality schools, with access to good jobs. And they've been shut out by uh, local governments that have refused to allow anything other than expensive single family homes. This bill just takes aim straight at that. Um, are, are you the right spokesperson for this? I don't know. I'm not a very good spokesperson, so probably not. <laughs> I'm not very polished in terms of in terms of media. I mean, I'm just incredibly passionate about solving the housing crisis. Yeah, I mean, what you were getting at is you're a, you're a you're a 30s white guy, and so I think that's what Matt was getting at. Are you are you the right person? I mean, we asked the, the equity argument because you're the sponsor of the bill, but is there not a, a better person who may might reflect some of the communities that, that, that you say this bill is aimed at helping that might be able to make that case um, in a different way. And so, also, just, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but also the bill is being pushed by another white legislator. In, yeah. How, what's he, in his 40s? Scott, his senator? Yeah. 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 Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah so I, the, 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 the way I would answer that is that, look, I work with those organizations to advance their bills last year. I supported um, and the, the YIMBY supported and and advocated for increased funding for affordable housing in the form of SB2 and SB3, which we very much want. Um, I testified on behalf of the Palmer Fix um, so that local governments could have inclusionary zoning. Um, and I am really with them on just about on their all of their goals, and I think the the vast majority of the, of the policies that they uh, promulgate, I I also support. Um, am I, you know, and I I think it is absolutely right for especially low income communities of color. Like if someone like like me, that looks like me, walks in their neighborhood with you know a white paper and says, "Hey, I I know what's best for you. Listen to me." Mm-hmm. Well, the last time that happened, they got screwed. Um, the the crimes of redevelopment are very very real, and people have long memories. Um, so I 
you know, do uh, you know absolutely understand um, that uh, folks in some of these communities would be uh, concerned with with any possible uh, land use changes. I think the um, the the onus is on uh, me and on the Yimby movement in order to forge uh, genuine alliances and partnerships with organizations in those communities um, in order to get their support. So, um, where are those alliances and support? Uh, for this bill? Yeah. So look, I mean, we we do have support from uh, some equity uh, organizations. I think some of the some of the 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 large organizations, uh, like say Act LA, for instance. Right. Um, you know, we're not there yet, um, but I, I very much uh, want to get there. Um, you know, if you look at the the uh, letter that they uh, sent to Senator Weiner in opposition uh, to the bill early on, so many of their demands were absolutely reasonable, and in fact were um, amended into the bill um, um, in the uh, March 1st amendments. Um, and we continue to work with these organizations in order to get them to a support position. Um, so again, I, th- I think this gets uh, back to what I said earlier, where given the fact that one, the YIMBY movement is very new, California YIMBY is especially new, we don't have just the, the decades of relationships that so many of these organizations have with each other. Like they've been working together since the seventies and in, in many cases, oftentimes it's the same personalities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to take some time to develop the trust and to develop the, the social relationships. Um, but I think that we will get there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we spoke with Cynthia, uh, Strathman, who was mm-hmm. one of the signatories of that, the act LA letter that you, um, uh, referenced. We asked her about the the rent protections that were added into the, and that was she still said sort of far from what she had hoped would come out of out of the bill. And she even said, you know, the idea uh, this approach is wrong. You know, talk to me about upzoning around transit massively once you've uh, repealed Costa Hawkins and added rent control, and and once you've reformed or changed the Ellis Act to ensure that people can stay in their in in rent control buildings. What's your what's your response to that? To yeah. That so sure. So like. My response is that all those reforming um, Costa Hawkins, reforming the Ellis Act, uh, are cert- are necessary and worthy goals, and um, I'm glad that they're working on them. Um, the but to say that we can't do anything with upzoning near transit if we don't solve those other incredibly difficult to solve political problems, I think is is the wrong approach because like what is the status quo right now? How many you know for for every five percent the rent increases in L.A. County? The homeless count goes up by 2,000. The status quo is a disaster for low-income people and working people. Okay. Uh, so one one of the arguments that uh, Cynthia also brought up brought up um, was, uh, you know, a lot of the framing around SB 27 has been this is the way to reach our climate change goals, right? Um, and she was saying, look, like to the extent that this might displace some low-income folks. Those are the folks that are your core ridership for public transit, more so than higher income individuals who might be moving into um, these locations. I'm, I'm wondering just to kind of get your response to that line of argument. Yeah. So it is absolutely the case that low income people are more likely to use public transit than high income people. That's correct. Um, and in L.A. County, indeed, throughout much of the country, you've seen a real decline in public uh, transit uh, mm-hmm. mode share. Right. In L.A. County, not entirely clear why this is, but the, the my understanding is that the 
the rate of increase in car ownership among low-income Angelenos is the primary driver for that. So in part because in the aftermath of the Great Recession, the economy is improving. Mm-hmm. More low-income people have enough money to buy a car. Public transit in LA, while improving, is still uh, not good enough for uh, uh, many people. It's not necessarily a bad thing that low-income people have more money now, and now they can um, uh, get around as they, they best see fit. That said, it is absolutely the case that SB 827 will enable far more people to use transit, and far more people will use transit if SB 827 passes. If you look at where um, you know Californians are, uh, you know, forced to, to to live now, increasingly they're they're still working um, in the along a coastal California, mm-hmm. but they're commuting in from Tracy or from Stockton in the Bay Area or from Palmdale if if if, if they're in LA. Um, SB A two seven is a way to reverse those trends. So yeah, I mean I. I do not think, and even the California Air Resources Board, even the work out of NRDC shows that unless if we significantly reduce our vehicle miles traveled, we are not going to hit our greenhouse gas emissions targets. The only way to do that is to enable more people to live near where they're uh, near transit, uh, near where they work. So it's interesting. You, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which I think conflicts with what I've heard, what Cynthia, something Cynthia said, and also conflicts with what I've been hearing uh, concerns from a number of folks, which is um, land values. Um, you know, you, you, you know, she said, "Look, like this will this will incentivize or increase land values, which only then allows for higher income development to pencil out." Um, and I, it's not just her; I've heard that argument time and again um, from various people throughout this process of, as I've been reporting on it. You seem to indicate that the opposite would happen. Um, yeah. And can you can you explain your position? Yeah. On that? So I think yeah. some people get um, they look at what happens if you say just up zone a very small area, let's say like near transit, from low density to high density. Well, if you look at what happens, the the value of that land certainly increases. Crucially, however, though, the value of land per legal buildable unit does not. And there are plenty of studies and performers that you can look at that, that, that show this. What's more, the experience of most folks is a very small upzoning. Well, a very small upzoning really does have the impact of channeling more development in an area, which does increase uh, prices further. Mm-hmm. Upzoning at a large scale, a large geography, is not going to have that uh, that effect. And so I, I think that like there has been a lot of confusion uh, around this issue. Is there any world in which um, you you don't include single family zoning? I mean, I'm, I, I'm just trying to. I'm, I've been thinking a lot about because this is interesting, right? This is like basically all we do and all we think about. Um, but like, is there any? I'm just curious. Is there any end game where like single family upzoning single family homes around transit is not part of the the deal? Yeah, you know? I really hope not. Um, but what? I guess maybe this is a better question. When do you pull the plug? When do you say, yeah. you know? Um, uh, uh, yeah, labor, you're right, and yeah, enviro- certain enviros, you're right, and yeah, like equity groups, you're right, and 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 we're gonna try to take care of all of these things. But obviously, as this, this works all, happens often in Sacramento, you can you can amend a bill into a point where um it doesn't it no longer intends to do what you or no longer does the things you intended to do. So where's that breaking point? So for look, you? I have no intention of trying to pass SB A two seven if it passes in name only and then declaring victory. Mm-hmm. Uh. This issue is too important to do that. Uh, the crisis is very, very real. It is very, very real for millions of Californians. So I think it would just be a massive disservice to accept amendments that completely eviscerated the bill, uh, because then, like, the impact is 
more people are going to be homeless, um, more people are, are going to be severely rent burdened, more people are going to wake up every day um, thinking, is this the day that I just that I start um, planning my move out of California? Is this the day that I leave my friends and family? Great. Okay. Brian, that's about, that was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis podcast. Um, I'm Matt Levin, data journalist with CalMatters. You can find me on Twitter at mlevinreports. Yeah, uh, I'm Liam. Uh, I'm on Twitter, too. Uh, it's at Dylan Liam. And uh, please check out, if you haven't, uh, aren't done yet with SB 27, uh, my colleague in L.A. and I, uh, Dave Zanheiser, uh, we're going to have a, a piece on how the bill affects L.A. Uh, coming out very soon. Um, and please rate and review the podcast and tweet at the Cal Matters account um, saying if you're if you are a fan of the podcast, I don't know, I'm inspired by on Cap Radio. They're doing their fundraising drive. Oh, neat. So uh, tweet at Cal Matters, tweet at Liam, uh, letting us know if you're a fan of the podcast and yeah. what you kind of get from it and what we can do better because we want to. All right. Thanks.